I want you to uh, turn to someone sitting near you. And I want you can you remember one occasion where someone let you down? Like they promised to do something, and then, uh, yeah, Jeff, you stay right next to me. And then, <laughs> and then they forgot, and they really let you down. Can you think of something? Share, share it with a person sitting near you. Just flip round if you if uh, need to, okay? Yeah, yeah, not, not spouses best, you know. Counseling on Tuesday is available, you know. not too hard to think of something, is it? Okay. I want you also to share. Now, now you're warmed up. Share where you let someone down. Okay. You're in church, so you have to be honest. Where, where you promise to do something and you let them down. It's got a bit quieter now. Have you noticed that? We do it all the time, don't we? We make promises that we don't keep. You know, I remember once when I was working in government, this, this, uh, my boss came to me. She wanted these files. I promised I'd get them out for her, give them to her because she was going to an evening meeting. I was on the train on the way home and I suddenly thought, oh man, I forgot the files. And there's that terrible moment. It was a fast train as well, which doesn't help. So you can't get off, you know. And I'm thinking, I used to live sort of in South London and it was it's like an hour and a half to work. And I thought, do I wait and get to the station, my home station, get off, get the next train back and in about two hours, she's probably already gone to the meeting. What do I do? And, and there's that terrible kind of feeling, isn't there, inside where you kind of, ah. Next morning she went, I, I, I was in there beavering away and then I had the, David, come to my office. Felt like school all over again, you know. She went ballistic. She said, I felt naked at this meeting. I thought, well, that's, that's a picture I don't want to have really, to be honest, but... You know, and, and those were our words, and I was like, ay, oh, ay, ay. And I just went, I'm sorry. I promised, and I failed. No other. And then she didn't really know what to say, because she was thinking I was going to justify myself, but I just went, you know what? I promise it won't happen again. Never did with her, anyway. We've all been in those situations, and, and often we say these things. What, what's that says? Action. Speaks louder than words. We know that, don't we? That actually you judge people not by what they say, but by what they do. Because we all say a whole lot more than we actually get round to doing. Correct? It starts at a very early age. I will tidy my room. But our actions are not quite up to the words that we say, Right? And today, as we look through the book of James, this is James's message to you and to me. It's a, it's a hard message, 
that we have in the book of James today. Really, this is the central theme of the whole book, is today's message. If you want to boil James down into one thing, it would be this. We started at the beginning of James. He starts talking about uh, trials and temptations, and consider it pure joy, my friends, when you face trials. Why? Because those are the things that help us to grow and build us up and make us stronger. He then goes on to talking about how we need to put the Word of God into practice and not to show favoritism with other people. And then he gets into uh, the end of chapter 2 or the second half of chapter 2 into really what he wants to talk about, which is this. Let's read it together. He says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds." You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodgings to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead... So faith without deeds is dead. There's three questions we need to ask ourselves today. Well, they all come under this overarching question, which, which James addresses, is my faith real? Now, before we tackle this, we need to kind of lay something aside, because Paul goes at great lengths in Romans and in other places to say that we are saved by grace, saved by faith, Right? That it's not about works, Romans 5 says that. It's not about the works of the law, it's all about our faith and trust in God. But Paul is talking about something different here. Paul is talking that he's saying that you cannot get to heaven by doing good things. That the only way that you can have a relationship with God is by trust, is by faith. It's because the Holy Spirit, as Jesus said in John, the Spirit convicts us that we are distant from him, turns us around and helps us to walk in the right direction. It's by faith. James is not talking about those kind of things. He's talking about seeing your faith by what you do. He's not saying that you can be saved by deeds. He's saying, no, 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 no. You're saved by your relationship with Jesus. But if you have a relationship, it should manifest itself. It should show itself by what you do. Let's look a little bit closer at what James is saying. The first thing he says in his my faith, he asks this question, is my faith all talk and no walk? 
He says, what good is it if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. These are the kind of people that, that talk and talk and talk and talk. They have all the Christian lingo. They, ha- they know what to say. That they're well-read. They, they probably studied theology and they study the Bible and they study this and they study that and they spend weeks and weeks of their lives talking about stuff. And they can give you all the right answers. But James says here, you know what, they, uh, they love to argue, they love to discuss, they love, they love to hold it there and, and, oh, this is great to do this. But actually, when it comes to the application, there's nothing. It's safe Christianity, isn't it? It's safe faith. We love to do that, all of us do. Because if we can talk about something and not have to do anything about it, it's great, isn't it? It's just a wonderful academic exercise. We can all sit there in a big circle, have a great discussion about it, all go, well, that was really good today. Thanks so much. And we all go away and nothing changes. We love to do that. You know, Alan does that all the time with Wealdstone Football Club, don't you, mate? You know, Nana behind does it all the time with Tottenham, right? We love to do that. We sit there as though we own the club, that we're the manager of the club, that we run the whole affairs and we talk all about it. Why? Because it doesn't make any difference to us. Oh, they should do this. They should buy this player. They should do that. They should do the other. And it's just a purely an academic exercise. And we love it. Because we're not in the middle of it. We don't have to change anything about it. We don't have to do anything about it. And James says here, it's, it's, it's like you see someone in need and you just give them the spiritual answer. But you're not prepared to lift a finger. Do you know what he calls that kind of faith? Dead. If it's not accomplished by action, he says, verse 17, it's dead. The second thing he says is he carries on and he says, you know what? Maybe your faith is both in your head and it's also in your heart as well. These are the kind of people that, that get really emotional as well. They put their hands up when they're singing. They're, they're, they're straight to the front. They often have tears in their eyes and it's, it's, it's about emotions and it's about the head as well and the heart and, and everything is going. And it, it's, it's not just an intellectual exercise. But it's actually an emo- oh, I, really, I have compassion for people. I really feel sorry for them. You know what he says this kind of faith is? He said this faith. He says it's like the demons. Because he says in the word, the demons understand who Jesus is, don't they? Do you remember Jesus often he told them to be quiet? They said, oh, we know that you're the son of the living God. And he says, be quiet. I don't need your witnessing for me. Thanks very much. And it says, even, even the demons shudder. They have an emotional response to God when they meet with God. 
It affects them in their insides. They, they, they know that something's going on and they're, they're worried, they're nervous. Don't, do you remember the, the story with the pigs? Hey, don't, 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 don't send us to the abyss. And so he's well, going to the pigs and the pigs jump off the cliff and all die and then they go to the abyss anyway. They're scared. Why? Because they meet in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You can have an intellectual faith. You can know the creeds. You can know who God is even. You can have an emotional attachment to God, James is saying, but actually what you're really doing is no different to what the demons are doing. They know who God is. They've seen him. They know who Jesus is. They know exactly who he is. And they, and they have an re emotional response to it. It's not just intellectual. But James says, that's no good either. You can't just come into church every time it's open and we'll have a wonderful worship service and then we go away again. You know those, those believers that go around to every conference there is going, every, every big event that there is going, and, and they're like event junkies, aren't they? They go around and, yeah, we had an amazing time, and, and it's not bad to go to these events and so on. But if that's all you're doing, James is saying... It's all about you. It's just about you and your relationship. It's just, that's no good, he says. He says, this is the critical thing. Does my faith produce a committed, obedient life? Does something change because of my relationship with Jesus Christ? Am I different? Am I, am I evolving? Am I, am I growing in my faith? Am I accepting the trials that he begins the whole book with and, and knowing that they're going to help me to grow and to mature in my faith? Am I different than I was yesterday and the day before and the day before that and the day before that? Is there, is there something that you can see that results from it. You know, so often, isn't it? I've sat in church. As you're sitting in church, we listen to a sermon and we kind of go, oh, that was good. Yeah, I like that this morning. Nice. And then we go away, don't we? And come usually, if you're like me, come Monday, you're going, it was a good sermon yesterday. I can't remember what it was about, but it was different. James was definitely studying James, somewhere in James. Well, it was definitely James. Had to be James. David's doing James. It was good. I remember it was good. But that's as far as it goes for so often, isn't it? And James is saying here, things need to change. Because of the Word of God. Not because of the sermon, but because of the message of the Word. Can you see it in your life? He uses two examples, doesn't he? The first example he uses is Abraham. Abraham, the man of God, he was the father of the Israelite nation, he was the guy. And he was considered righteous because God gave him a word that says, leave where you, go, where you are, go to a place where I'm going to show you, 
And then en route, he said, he met him and he said, you know what? You're going to be the father of so many nations. I'm going to get, even though you're old, even though you're collecting your national pension, even though you've got your oyster card and your bus pass and your freedom card and every other card that is due, even though you get your 10% off in Waitrose, that's how old you are, right? Because that's, that, I'm still going to give you a kid. And Abraham struggled with that and Sarah struggled with that, didn't they? And they went, yeah, yeah, and it didn't happen straight away. So often we go, that happens, isn't it? He says something, and when, then when it doesn't happen straight away like this, we kind of start a question and go, ah, oh, man, did he really? Are we really? That's ridiculous. Abraham, you're old. Sarah, you're old. You can't have kids now. And they question the promise. And so they do what everybody does, take matters into their own hands. And they said, well, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do it. Sleep with your maidservant. And we'll have a kid that way. And God said, that's, that's not my way. And then they had a child, Isaac. And when he was a teenager, God said to him, Abraham, go offer him up. Kill him. Now, for us, that would be like, you're out of your mind, God. But for them, that was normal, right? Normal Canaanite custom was that you would offer your firstborn. They were used to that. They were used to that kind of mentality that that's what the gods required from you. So it wasn't like, surely not God. That's illegal. I'm going to be put in prison. It was like, well, I guess... But Abraham was thinking, how does that even work? Because this is the child of promise that you promised to us. And what's going on? But he did it anyway. And remember when he was there, he was about to kill his son. And God said, stop. And he provided the sacrificial lamb. So Abraham, Abraham was then considered righteous, considered in a right relationship with God because of what he did because of his demonstration of his trust in God. It wasn't an academic exercise. It wasn't even an emotional exercise for him. It was a physical exercise. God said, do this. He went and did it. And when he was about to, God said, that's it. And so God calls him my friend. That's why he's the father of the nation the father of all of us who believe. But then on the other end of the spectrum, you have Rahab. Now, Rahab was a prostitute, and she was in, uh, in the city. And the Israelites were coming, and everybody knew that the Israelites were taking over town by town by town, and they sent spies out to spy the land. And do you remember the story? She hid the spies when the army were looking for them in her place. No, I haven't seen them. Not here. They're up on the roof. And she said, you know what? I know that the God that you serve is stronger than the God that this town serves. I know that you're going to take over. I know who your God is. Even though I'm a Gentile, even though I'm a woman, even though I shouldn't know, even though it's the... I know. So she said, spare me and my household. And they said, if you put this scarlet ribbon out the window... When we come and attack the town and take over it, anybody in this house 
will be saved. And so it's the same thing. She put it into practice. She went and got all her family, and she said, you've got to stay here. Because the Israelites said, if, if they're not in there, it's not, it's, the blood's on your hands, not ours. But if they're in this room, we'll promise you, we'll keep them safe. And when you look in Matthew's gospel, guess who's in the lineage of Jesus? Abraham? Well, that's expected. Who else? Rahab. Part of Jesus' genes. Why? Because she put it into action. It wasn't just of the head. It wasn't just of the heart. It was something that she did. And then what she did was that when the army came and told the spies, have you seen them? She said, yeah, I saw them. They went that way. And then when the spies are up on the roof, she says, you better go that way. Go back to your people. I'll lie for you. Because I believe. Rahab. Now, why does James use these two? Because they're at opposite ends of the spectrum, aren't they? You've got, you've got Abraham, who is the, the, the key figure. And then you've got Rahab, who is a woman, who is a Gentile, who is considered to be a sinner and considered to be an enemy of God. Right at the other extreme. And James is using the two of them because he's saying, you know what, any of you in between those two extremes... None of you are Abraham, but none of you are Rahab either. Any of you in those two extremes, if you put it into practice, you end up with dynamic faith. It's about the head and the heart, but then leading to action. You've got to do something with it because that is the faith that saves. That is the faith that the Spirit is looking for. That is the kind of faith that makes a difference. Trust in God. Trust in His Word. Have faith in who He is. Then act on that trust and then the blessing flows to you and to others around you. You know the question today? Well, this is the summary. Right at the end, he says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. The question is, how do others see your dynamic faith? Last week, we introduced Novado to you. Novado's here as a, a student from LST. Part of his placement is to shadow the minister. That's scary. Probably for him. He doesn't know it yet, but definitely for me. Because when somebody is shadowing you, you have to ask the question, what are they going to see? What are they going to see? Yeah, they can see the shadowing of the job, but he's shadowing me. So he sees my faith, he sees my life, he'll see who I am. He, he'll see whether I have faith or don't have faith. He'll see it in practice day by day as he shadows throughout the year. 
And honestly, that's kind of scary when I stop to think of it. I don't know why I said yes. But that's the question James is asking of you and me. That's why I said it's not easy today, is it? If someone was to shadow you, what kind of faith would they see? What kind of life would they see? What kind of witness would they see? Do they see a faith that is displayed in the way you live your life, in your actions? Or do they see your actions separate to your faith? I know lots of people, well, some people, they go to sports events like football. And what comes out of their mouth at football wouldn't come out of their mouth on a Sunday morning. Or you get cut up in your car and what comes out of your mouth in the, behind your windscreen. You wouldn't say that when you're welcoming people to church on a Sunday morning. Or you hit your hand with a th the hammer doing your DIY. And it's not, oh Lord, thank you for this trial. <laughs> or something doesn't go wrong in our lives. Or, or we see someone in need and we just walk by on the other side when we could stop. And afterwards in your heart, you kind of, God's saying to you, I wanted you to do something there and you know that you could have said something, but you're like, oh, I'm just not me. Choose someone else. James is saying today to you and me, show me your faith. Don't tell me your faith. Show it to me. Show me by who you are, by what you do. I will see your faith. And that's way more important. Any of us can say we're a Christian. Jesus said the same thing, didn't he, with the sheep and the goats? He said, yeah, we, we did a... No relationship there. When did I do it? Well, you did it for the least. You did it for me. Because you demonstrate your faith in your journey. I knew it was a bad idea looking at the book of James. Because it's hard, isn't it? Because if you're like me right now, you're thinking about all the times that you mess up rather than all the times you succeed. All the times you fail and you kind of think, well, am I? Well, maybe we need to turn our thinking around if that's where you're at. And just say, Lord, give me opportunities to serve you. Lord, you know my love for you. You know my desire for you. I don't need fanfares. You don't need everybody else. Because you see it all. May my walk be the same as my talk. May my heart and my head 
show itself, my spirit in action. When I see things, may I roll up my sleeves and get my hands dirty in the mess of life to show people that I love you. Because Jesus, that's what you did for me. That's what you did for your disciples. You washed feet to show them who you are. You went to a cross to show us who you are. May I take up my cross every day and follow you. For we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.